Ephesians 1.11 In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you, Brittany. All right. Identity part four. All right. And this message has been entitled, I Once Was Lost. All right. So... We're wrapping up the first kind of introductory paragraph of chapter 1. Following Paul's greeting, he lays out this paragraph of spiritual blessing in Christ. It's the who you are, and that's what we happen to be studying is our identity, our who we are. And your English translators were nice to you and your ESVs. So that they broke this up with periods and such. But when Paul wrote it, it was actually one big long sentence from verse 3 to verse 13. Just this non-stop flow of thought. And some scholars who are grammatically critical will look at it and be like, this is, you know, an abomination. And then on the other hand, there's some scholars who will look at this, this almost 10 verse single sentence this complete run on and say wow this is profound theological poetry and I'd like to fall more along that side into that camp I look at Paul's paragraph the spiritual blessings in Christ and it's like he's woven these threads that will be Everything that the book of Ephesians sprouts out of. So everything that he will talk about eventually sprouts from this introductory paragraph. And we're going to look at the four concluding verses that Brittany just read of that paragraph. And something that Brandon touched on in the very first message of identity is misplaced identities or identities that are founded on the wrong things or maybe not even necessarily intentionally but sometimes unintentionally founded on the wrong stuff. And I want to point out that the result of having identities founded on things other than what they are to be founded on which is Christ. We end up lost. And some identities that we can, no, some things that we can form our identity around and end up with a, this lostness are, for example, and this could be prevalent in this age group, is academics, right? With academics, we can gain the, the, we can gain the approval of our parents, our teachers, our schoolmates, We can show ourselves to be more academically proficient and knowledgeable and better at our test scores and better in our grades 
than the people we're you know, competing with in the academic realm. They say knowledge is power, and if we have more knowledge or a better argument than somebody else, then supposedly we're more powerful than them. Well, we can also form identities around politics, and that's something that I think uh, we saw just recently with the recent elections. People who would first and foremost identify themselves as a Republican or as a Democrat or whatever party they ascribe to, they would have a worldview that's shaped around politics and politics being the salvation of the world and finding that one particular form of government with that one particular ruler or head of government that is going to be that Messiah figure, that salvation for the world, the one person who if we elect him to office, he will set everything right, be the fulfillment of everything. He will be the Prince of Peace. Wow. People can form their identity around riches, the pursuit of riches, the pursuit of investments, planning their whole life around their finances uh, based on where they're going to college, what they're doing after college, these unending plans of how they're going to establish good credit and get this awesome house and they're going to build up their investment funds and their retirement is going to be secure and set because they were ahead of the game. They outsmarted the competition and they accomplished financial success. Well, these categories are things that we see constantly show up in the Gospels as people interact with Jesus. We think of the rich young ruler and what Christ had to say to him. You can't serve God and money. And we think about political parties that would come to Jesus and ask him to choose sides. The Pharisees, for example, asking him to choose sides on political matters. And he says, no, no. The kingdom of God is not of, it is not founded in, it is not established by worldly politics, but by one king who's called Jesus. Well, people can pursue social status. They can pursue uh, being on top of the social game. The one that everybody looks to as the one who has it all together. The one who throws the greatest parties or has the most people who know their name or the most Facebook friends or the whatever it is. And we can establish our identities around our social status. Where if somebody doesn't like our Facebook post, our world just falls apart, right? Uh, we can form our identities around spousal pursuit. Pursuing a spouse. An identity wrapped up in, for girls I have to be a good wife and find a great husband, or guys I gotta be a good husband and find a good wife. That becomes what life is about for people. Finding the one. The perfect one. The one who will make me fulfilled and complete. The one who will be my prince or princess of peace. But you can see how these things start to fall apart. Uh, or what about sports? 
I mean high school sports, college sports, professional sports. Some people are really gifted athletically. My little brother is one of those. He totally excels on the basketball court. But there's a danger in forming an identity around how you perform on the basketball court or the football field or soccer stadium or whatever the case may be. Because what you've got to understand is in any of these pursuits, our identity, the strength of our identity is only as strong as the weakest link. Meaning, all of these things that we can pursue, we can pursue these in our own power, with our own will, and our own might. And it's not as strong as our strongest strength. No, it's only as strong as our weakest link. What does it take for an identity founded on those things to fall apart? Well, you know, if a basketball player's weakest link is their knee, as soon as their knee blows out, their career is over, their identity falls apart, and they don't know who they are. Their life is shattered into pieces. If it's pursuing riches, you know, the stock market goes for a dive, all, your, all of a sudden 401k investments aren't worth anything anymore like they promised they would be. They would be your comfort, they would be your peace, they would be your safety and security. Well, what happens when the stock market crashes and all the financial investments go down the hill and what then? What happens if in politics your guy doesn't win the democratic race? Well, again, it's only as strong as our weakest link. But I want to take a look at Ephesians as we're studying it right now. And look at the end of this little spiritual blessings in Christ section as Paul concludes this very lengthy thought, right? This whole sentence long thought, keeping in mind that he's weaving threads. He's laying the foundation for what's to come in the book of Ephesians. And he's setting in their minds the precursors of what he wants to tell them to do. Because as we eventually get to the second half of the book, we'll see there's a lot of talk about our conduct. There's a lot of talk about the way that we walk. There's a lot of talk about our relationships and how we treat and submit and love and respect one another. But before he can tell us what to do, he has to tell us who we are. Because this is not a game of behavior. Your identity is not based on your behavior. Because like those other pursuits, those pursuits that will leave you lost, those are accomplished in our own might and in our own power. So as we look at Ephesians, as we look at the big picture and we look at the structure of Ephesians, we've got to keep this in mind. And this is something we've kind of already talked about as we talked about predestination. But we are pre-chosen. I'm just switching the word up a little bit. We are pre-chosen now, pre-chosen tells me this, like when you're picked for a uh, kickball out at PE, 
you never wanted to be the last kid, right? You always wanted to be, I mean, if you couldn't be first, you wanted to be somewhere in the middle because it's just embarrassing being the last one chosen for kickball, right? And they're chosen in order of, well, assuming their athletic prowess or whatever the case may be, their perceived ability to kick the ball over the gate, right? Determined by their own abilities. So who is picked first is presumably the best, and who is, per- who is picked last is presumably the worst. Now, in the game of life, and in the choosing that God did of his people, of his church, of the ones that he would give his life for, of the ones that he would sanctify and perfect in the Holy Spirit, and the ones that through history he would move to the ultimate fulfillment of Christ, the king of his kingdom. He pre-chose us. We weren't the last one chosen on the kickball field. He chose us before the game began. Right? We're pre-chosen. So we don't have this worry of we were a last minute decision or we got fit in because... Well, there's nobody else to pick. He's the last one. Just, all right. He, we, in his love, he pre-chose us. Now, that's a picture of love. That while we were far off and while we were yet sinners, he pre-chose us. He predestined us. Now, what is predestined? Uh, what idea sprouts out of that? The second part of the word is destined, which means there is a destination so we are pre-chosen or pre-destined predetermined for a destination a somewhere a something and to be a somebody now he lays this out quite clearly in the book of Ephesians so that as we were saying before he tells us how to walk before he says Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He has to found us or found the Ephesians, first of all, in who they are. And likewise, as members of the church, who we are. Pre-chosen individuals who in Christ are blessed. To be matured by the Holy Spirit to the full stature of Christ. Not the half stature of Christ, the full stature of Christ. So that by the working of the Holy Spirit, which is the power so beyond us, that we might become just like Jesus. That we might be co-heirs with him. Now the Spirit is a down payment, a first fruit. It is a, you know, like a prototype of the fulfillment that is to come. We'll get into that in a little bit. What I also want to say is this, Paul's approach to our identity is so big. It's so much more massive than I think a lot of us tend to think. So something that we have, well, that I had to do as I was studying this and reading this and figuring out something to say, 
something that I want to challenge us to do is to think bigger. Right? And that involves opening our minds. That involves accepting that every preconceived notion that we have in our head is maybe not big enough for the God of the universe, the creator and the redeemer. Now, Paul, as we talked about before, again, he's, his Jewishness is really showing in the story. He's founding this story before the beginning. He's referring to this God as the creator, the same creator of the Jewish story, the same God who in the beginning was before Abraham was, I am that God. Now he's identified as creator. He's identified as redeemer. He's the same God who took the Jews through the Red Sea in the Exodus, who with Pharaoh and his army is quickly pursuing with captivity, chasing after his people. He crushed captivity. He made captivity itself a captive covered by the oceans of the Red Sea. This God, again, nothing new. So from before the beginning, when he pre-chose us, and what I want you to see is like these threads beginning to weave. Now he also identifies, just in this little like run-on sentence, he identifies this God as the God of the Trinity, the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit God. Refuting other gods, or lowercase g gods, who claim to have rights to the throne. He refutes them. This is the God, the Trinitarian God. The Father, he speaks of the Father. He speaks of the, the mysterious will and purpose of the Father. He speaks of the Son, the Redeemer, the Savior, the inheritance, the manifestation of this God. He speaks of the Holy Spirit who is the sort of down payment to this. The one who comes into us and begins working in us to bring us to the full stature of Christ that he's talking about. The Trinitarian God. And when he speaks of the mystery of God's will, the mystery of his plan, that's what I was talking about. That we have to be willing to accept that there's more to the story than we think there is. That's the nature of a mystery. If you could open the front page of a mystery novel and read the first 10 pages and have it figured out, well then, you know, God bless you. Awesome. You're ahead of everybody else in society. Right? That's not the nature of a mystery novel. The mystery novel has loose ends. It has dangling ends. It has unresolved conflicts that keeps you turning the page page after page, to find out what happens in the end, to find out the who done it, to find out what the, co- the climax, the fulfillment, and the resolution is of this mystery. So if we find ourselves in the middle of this God story, 
of this mystery that is unfolding before our eyes, of which we are taking part, if we find ourselves in the middle and we say, I have it all figured out. I understand, I understand every nuance of it. Well, then you've, you've got yourself fooled. I'm sorry. <laughs> so be willing to accept that there's more to this mystery than you ever anticipated. It's a mystery that spans from eternity past to eternity future. And until Christ comes again, until he brings heaven with him, and until he brings the kingdom in all its fullness, and until sin and death are forever done away with, until captivity is made captive, we will not understand the fullness of this. We're in process. It's a journey. There's progress. The mystery is unfolding. There might be clues we find out along the way, but we don't understand it fully. And that's something Paul continually talks about in Ephesians, is the mystery of his will, the wisdom of his unfolding great design, the great design of what this is. All right, now something that... I want to touch on that's in the beginning uh, that's in you find in verse 11 is this idea that it's in Christ that we find out who we are we talked about these these other pursuits that pop up whether inside or outside of Christianity in the church or outside the church everybody's figuring out who they are they're pursuing hard after a Messiah figure. They're pursuing hard after a God. Whether intentionally or haphazardly, they're pursuing. And whether it's something that will legitimately form them and found them in an identity that is secure, that will bring fulfillment, that will bring comfort, that will bring peace, real everlasting peace. Whether it's that or not, they're chasing after it. For us Christians, something that Paul founds us in is that it is in Christ that we find out who we are. So logically it follows from that that outside of Christ, we cannot find who we are. Outside of Christ, we remain lost. Yet being chosen and found in Christ, being in Him, finding ourselves a part of this story, a part of the unfolding mystery of God's perfect will and plan. We find out who we are. Not because we pursued it with our own efforts, but because He chose us. It's kind of like the prodigal son. We're all prodigal sons in, in our own sense. Do you remember the prodigal son, confused about realities, confused about what he really needed to be fulfilled? He asked the father for his inheritance now. He asked the father, can I have a third of the estate? Right? And now the third of the estate is wrapped up in uh, equity. It's wrapped up in land and houses, and probably cattle, and other livestock, and these type of things. 
And when a father passed away, the sons would get this inheritance and it would be divided however it was to be divided. So now this prodigal son goes up to the father while the father's alive and says, give me my inheritance. I know what's best for me. And it's having money now on my time. So what is he telling the father? He's telling him, I wish you were dead. That's what give me my inheritance now means. I wish you were dead. So he disregards the father. He cares only for what he wants, seeking what will fulfill him. And that's a third of the inheritance now. And he goes off and he squanders it, finds himself in a pigsty, comes to his knees in repentance and says, wow, I was wrong. I totally messed that one up. Maybe, just maybe, I can go back to my father under the identity of a slave. After having squandered all this inheritance, I can go back to him as a slave in my father's house, and at least I won't be sleeping with the pigs. I might not be making money. I might not be having the rich life that I once had or was going to have in the future but at least I won't be sleeping with the pigs or wondering where my next meal is coming from so he goes back to the loving father in his mind thinking maybe I can be a slave this is his in his mind the best idea for his new identity the new him whatever his name was the prodigal the new prodigal is a slave in his father's house That was his best thought that he could muster up of what he himself could be. Yet while he was far off, the father picked up his robes and ran to him. Him being covered in filthy rags, he clothed him with robes. He put a ring on his finger, the signet, the sign, the seal, that he is part of the family now. And as he's about to beg for mercy and forgiveness, saying, I'll be a slave. Then the father says, no, go kill the fattened calf to his servants. No, we're going to throw a party because you've returned. See, from the young boy's perspective, the best thoughts for himself of what he could make of his own life were after having squandered his inheritance was a slave in his father's house. Yet, the father's thoughts for what he wanted his son to be were back in the family, adopted, again, reinstated as an heir. Not living in rags, but living in robes. With a ring on his finger that says he's part of the family. Throwing a banquet feast with the fattened calf. This was his father's identity of what, this was his father's idea of what his identity should be. So now in our lives, are we going to trust the identity that we can muster up in our own imaginations and in our own strength, in our own might? Or on the other hand, will we accept the identity 
that the Father has chosen for us when he pre-chose us before the foundations of the world. Bringing to fulfillment all of history in the thread of everybody's life, the conflicts, the wars, the ups and downs, the working out of everything together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And that's not what we think is our own good. It's what he knows is our own good. You see, the Lord before the foundations had this cosmic design of what everything in the universe would amount to, what the sum total would be before heaven and earth, before the foundations of the earth, before angels became demons, before Satan rebelled against God's reign, before man disobeyed God, before man got himself into a heap of trouble. <laughs> right? God had designs for what it would all amount to. And what we have to understand is that no power and no principality, no force of will can prevent his plan from happening. Nothing in this earth, no conflict, no war, no head of state, no amount of times that we mess up can prevent his ultimate will from happening. Our being with him in heaven, fully reinstated like the prodigal son, wearing robes instead of rags, being reinstated with a signet on our fingers, saying we're adopted back into the family. Now Paul talks about that signet being the Holy Spirit. That's a sign. It's a sign that you're in him, you're with him, and he's working not just outside of you in the events of history, but also inside of you, both to will and to do his purpose. Now will there be bumps along the way, and are we continuing to be sinners on this side of glory and all this stuff? Yeah, of course. It's not fulfilled. It's not complete. It's still in the process. We've got to be okay with that. We've got to be okay with the ups and the downs. We've got to not get shaken, our universe shattered, because things don't go right or the way that we planned. Because the unfolding mystery of God's will and His glorious, all-knowing, all-wise purpose says that he knows better for us than we know for ourselves. The loving Father wants to reinstate us and give us, give us an identity that is far better than anyone that we could pursue in our own might. So that while we were like a prodigal, and while we were far off, and while we were once lost, we can now, in the here and now, be found. And now what's the result of being found as opposed to being lost. Well, when you're found, you have bearings, right? It's like you're at Ontario Mills and it's this big giant circle and you don't know where you are and there's neighborhoods. What? 
why is it divided in neighborhoods? And you walk up to one of those kiosks and it says what? You are here. You're contextualized. You're given bearings. You're told where you are. You're told what spot on the map you're in. And once you know where you are, you can know where you need to travel to get to where you're going. And likewise for us, once we're found rather than lost, and once we accept our God-given identity, then our man-made identity, we are found, we have bearings, we are oriented, we have the you are here, and that's where you're going. You're going to heaven. Right now you're here. You have bearings. You know where to go. You know where to travel. You know that in spite of the ups and downs in life, in spite of the getting jumbled around, you know your final destination and you know where you are to get there. So, in this, what does this mean for us? Well, eventually... We'll touch on this more when we get there, but our identity informs our walks. When Paul says repeatedly in Ephesians, walk this way, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, walk in the way that you are called, conduct yourself this way. This is to be your attitude, your behavior, the way you conduct yourself in life. He doesn't first of all, go after our behavior. He doesn't address that as primary, as ultimate. He doesn't say, just do all these things. Case closed. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what this life is about. He founds us in who we are because our identity informs our conduct. When we know who we are, we know how to be. Yet it's also a process of becoming that as the Holy Spirit works in us. So let's keep an open mind about the unfolding mystery. An open mind that maybe we haven't grasped the depths in the intricacies of all this universe is about. That as we find out who we are, we will find out how to walk how to be with one another, how slaves are to treat masters and master slaves, how wives are to treat husbands and husbands' wives, children are to treat parents and parents' children. We will know how to do these things because we're founded in who we are. Christianity is not a rule book that says do and don't. It's about who you are. You're chosen, you're redeemed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're in Christ. You're part of the unfolding mystery and you're aimed toward the destination of heaven. Being with God forever without sin and death. With captivity being held captive. That's who we are. So we got to be who we are. We got to be what we're made for. And this, this is what we were all made for. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your great design and your glorious plan. Thank you 
that in you we're no longer lost, but we are found. God, that we don't have to pursue after things that will make us into something. But God, you made us into something when you chose us. God, help us to see how we are disoriented and far off and how we think like prodigals. Oh Lord, help us to accept your will and accept your plan and your design and everything that you intend for us and everything that you want us to be. Thank you for your grace that you lavished on us. Thank you for your mercy. God, and thank you that we're found and found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.